kept high and his mind lifted up, the Bible says, and his train fills the temple. Praise God. It's good to have Dr. Drexel Brunson with us today, as you've seen on the platform. He's been ministering for over 32 years. He's been with us before. He's currently pastoring the Marian Life Assembly of God in Ocala. It's such a good opportunity for us to have him with us today. Dr. Brunson, God bless you. travel to Europe and several other places together, and uh, it is a privilege today to fill this pulpit. I've been praying for my congregation back home as we've been worshiping together. I have a missionary today speaking to them, so I'm looking forward to hearing good reports. This evening, one of our beloved members has gone to heaven, went to heaven last week, and we are conducting his memorial service tonight. So uh, there is much emotionally happening in that church today. Would you take your Bibles? This has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 51. No, Isaiah chapter 51. I'm sorry. Isaiah chapter 51. I'll do everything I can to help you. So you tell me what to do, and I will obey you, okay? And thank you for all the work you're doing for me up there in the sound room. Isaiah chapter 51, about about three miles above Nazareth. How many of you have been to Israel? May I ask you, please? Several of you. Okay, yes. About three miles above Nazareth, there is a city called Sequoia. It was, in the days of Herod the Great, a building project. The, um, I suspect Joseph and Jesus probably would have worshipped there, along with scholars that also believe the same thing that I read. But I suspect that they would have worked there because it was a government check. So only three miles up one way and three miles back wouldn't have been a hard trek for them. But on the way, there is an abandoned stone quarry on the way. I, well, I enjoy taking people to that quarry simply because I believe that Jesus, who obviously knew how to handle stone, if you've been to Israel, you know that the way they constructed that day and time was to center their roof on different rafters, and they all would, would uh, come together in one stone kind of column and sit on top of that stone column. So Jesus would have had to know stone masonry as well as be a carpenter. But anyway, I wonder if he didn't stop in that quarry from time to time and get the stone that he would need be needing to help build that building up there. But it does remind me of something in Isaiah chapter 51 of which we all are a part. Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 1 says, listen to me you who follow after righteousness, in other words, you and I. The Bible says, you seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the hole of the platform which you were dug, or to the hole of the pit, rather, from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. In other words, Isaiah is trying to tell us something that quarry reminds me of. That's this. Every one of us came from the same quarry. We're all from the same rock. Every one of us who named the name of Jesus Christ and recognized him as Lord and Savior, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and the prophets, Jeremiah, 
Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Jesus himself in his human form, Paul, Peter, we all came from the same rock. Every one of us are hewn from the same rock, from the same quarry. You and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is an honor to be with you today. It is an honor to be with fellow brothers and sisters. Now, let's get to the sermon, okay? I want to talk with you about Samson this morning. I'm going to assume that all of you know about Samson at some point or another. So turn with me to the book of Judges. Book of Judges, chapter 13. His story is told in Judges 13 through 16. Quite a story it is. Judges 13 through 16. We will not read all that today, I assure you. We'll just read parts of it. Most of us know the story of Samson, if not all of us. He lived somewhere around 1200 B.C. We're not exactly sure of the exact dating, so 1200 B.C. will serve us well. The name Samson was derived from the Hebrew word semes, S-E-M-E-S. Semes means sunny, like the sun outside, S-U-N-N-Y. Apparently he had quite a bright personality, a sunny personality, semes. I suspect even Manoah and his wife, his wife is not named for the scripture, there are some rabbis that do give her a name, I'll mention that to you in just a few minutes. We don't really know why, we just gave her a name. But she's unnamed the scripture, but I imagine his parents, from time to time, if not regularly, call him Sonny. The story, again, is told in Judges chapter 13 through 16, chapters 13 through 16. And what we find in those chapters is that Samson lived a life of sinning. He lived in cycles of sin. It was sin, repent, receive fresh anointing. Sin, repent, and receive fresh anointing. He is the last judge of Israel to be mentioned in the book of Judges, and he's one of the last leaders of Israel who will judge Israel before the monarchy is established and instituted. The problem with Samson was he did not learn to live above sin, and none of us are going to be perfect. But he did not live learn to learn to live above sin until it was too late, until the heavy price had to be paid. None of us are ever going to live long enough to experience everything that's in the Word of God. We're just not going to live long enough. So it's my prayer today that the Holy Spirit will help us to be able to learn from Samson. Part of what I want to make a point with you is this. God is the God of the second chance. He gives us chances. He's our Heavenly Father. That's part of what I want to talk with you about today. Judges chapter 13. Verses 3 through 7. We'll just read a select part of it. Judges chapter 13, verses 3 through 7. The Bible says, The angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman. Notice that he did not name Sam, Samson's mother. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, and he said unto her, Indeed now you are barren. You have borne no children, but you have you have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful. Do not drink wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. He shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. 
Bible says in Judges chapter 16 and verse 4, Afterward it happened, afterward it happened, they loved a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. Then would you turn with me to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. And that will give us a complete picture of what we're going to talk about this morning. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell thee of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson. This morning I want to talk with you about Samson. I've asked the Lord to allow me to please bring new insight to you to a story that you know well. I want to mention three questions to you this morning and ask you, and really answer three questions. One, what is Samson doing in Hebrews chapter 11? That's a real character clause. What is he doing in Hebrews chapter 11? Number two, what is Samson doing in Sarek? Why was he there? found a lot of there. Why was he there to begin with? And then number three, what is Samson doing in Gaza, the capital city of Philistia? Those are the questions I want to mention to you this morning. Heavenly Father, for the next few moments, take us into your presence yet again. Thank you for the beautiful music we've heard this morning. Lord, I know that you have received the worship. Thank you for this now, Lord, we ask you to take us into the Word of God and let it speak to our hearts today. And we ask that you do that, Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11 is a glowing passage of Scripture, the faith chapter. So, with all those fabulous people who stand out as real examples for us, what is Samson? The man with all those character flaws, the man who had a lot of negatives, what is he doing in Hebrews chapter 11? I'll pose three answers for you very quickly. Number one, it may be that the Holy Spirit is trying to show that you don't have to be perfect to be used by God. Now, there is a segment of Christianity. Some Christians believe that you have to be perfect to be used of God. If If you do... God is very short-handed, I assure you. Very short-handed. I wouldn't be in this pulpit, I assure you, if that was required. The second answer to that question of what he's doing in Hebrews chapter 11 is this. The Holy Spirit may be trying to show that Father God is a God of mercy. Now, mercy has a lot of different avenues to it, but one avenue of mercy is that it is the withholding of punishment that is deserved. And repeatedly, God withheld punishment from Samson. Repeatedly. For 20 years, the 20 years that God would, that Samson rather would judge Israel, the Bible records that the Holy Spirit had control of him 10 times and no more. That's it. Just 10 times and no more. The rest of his life was lived in a carnal, fleshy kind of nature. As a young adult, Samson will leave the mountains, and I explained to you in a few moments that he was a mountain man. Because that is where his hometown Zora was. I'll tell you why. As a young man, Samson leaves the mountains and he, he goes down because he wants to investigate the cities of Philistia. And there in Philistia, he meets a woman 
He marries her. And his father will ultimately get her at his request for him. At his wedding, he incurred a gambling debt. You can read about that in the book of Judges, chapter 14, verses 10 through 17. But he incurred a gambling debt, debt of 30 linen clothes and 30 changes of garments. He uh, lost the bet that he made. So he goes 30 miles north of the city of Ascalon, kills 30 Philistines, and brings these others back their clothing in 10 minutes. And Lehi, we do not know the exact location, but we do know that Lehi is in the Judean area. And Lehi, he will kill a thousand men with the jawbone of a freshly slain ass or freshly slain donkey or captured 300 foxes. He tied their tails together to wire or something. Put a firebrand in between them, turned them loose on their olive groves or their olive trees and turned them loose in the Philistines' grain fields. He sent those foxes to a fiery death, but he destroyed that for the Philistines because they had burned his father-in-law and his first wife. To study Samson is to study feats of strength, feats of supernatural strength. I understand that. But to also study Samson's life is to study the kinds of sad, sad situations that he got himself into and see how God delivered him. So I guess the second reason would be simply to say that God is showing mercy. He's shown that when he could have judged Samson legitimately time after time after time in those 20 years, he did not. He was right. He was, he was gracious. The third reason why Samson, I think, is in the book of Judges, and this is why I believe he's in the book of Judges, is because he had a high level of faith. Samson was a man, he had faith the Holy Spirit would use him in supernatural strength. He had faith for that. More than that, you will see at the end of his life, Samson has a high, high level of faith. I think that's the reason he's in Hebrews chapter 11. So the answer to the question, my personal answer to question one is, why is it in Hebrews chapter 11 a man with so many character issues? Because of sheer faith. I love Number two, what is Samson doing in Sarek? Samson was a mountain man. He lived in the town of Zorah, which is right on the edge of the northeastern valley of the Philistines, valley of Sarek. And it's right on the edge of the tribe of Dan, of Israel. When the Ammonites came and conquered the land years before, they ran the tribe of Dan into the mountains. Dan will remain a mountain tribe, and Samson was a mountain man. Zara was a mountain town. We understand that. And poor old Samson, he had a problem. If he would have just gone to the left toward Jerusalem, everything would have been fine. He didn't do that. Samson walked to the right toward the Mediterranean Sea and the Valley of Sarek. Things started having a problem with the Valley of Sarek. He started facing some real challenges and difficulties there. Four miles into the Valley of Sarek, he looked over to the town of Timnath where he will discover his bride. He never married Delilah. He did marry a woman in Judges chapter 14, verses 1. Though uh, we know the general area of Sarek, we know pretty much where it's located. In fact, we do know where it's located. 
We never got in and gone in and excavated that area. So the way we learn about that area is to primarily learn about the area through vocabulary. What does the word Sarek mean? Sarek means vineyard. Sarek means vineyard. What is Samson doing at a vineyard? Sarek is the Napa Valley of the area. Sarek is the wine-producing region, or high-prime-producing area of that region. So what in the world is Samson doing in Sarek? He is under a Nazarite vow, and the book of Judges teaches us he would be under the vow from the day of his birth to the day of his death. Only he and Samuel were under a vow like that. But he was under a lifelong vow along with Samuel. It would come later. When you run a Nazarite vow, it meant these things. Number one, you don't take any product of the vine, no raisin, no grape, no Welch's grape juice, no wine. You don't touch any product of the vine, part of the Nazarite vow. Another part of the Nazarite vow was this, that you don't cut your hair. The third part of the Nazarite vow was you don't touch a dead body. Fourth part was you don't eat unclean food. All week long, I assure you, your pastor and those who are with him have been eating kosher food, and it's fine. I've eaten a bunch, and it's real a lot. It's good food. Now, the Old Testament does not specify the duration of an Nazarite vow, but the Mishnah, which is the Jewish interpretation of the Old Testament, part of the Jewish interpretation of the Old Testament, says it went from 30 to 90 days. Samson was a Samson, his mother, according to rabbis, tell us that her name was Ziponath. You take that for what it's worth. Samson, his mother, came under a Nazaritic vow. He came under from birth. She came under the Nazaritic vow when she had Samson. Now, knowing this, knowing that he's not supposed to touch anything, knowing he's not supposed to eat unclean food, that was a flisting area, so you know they're not worrying about kosher food. Knowing those things, what is Samson doing in Sarek? What is he doing down there? I want to stop for a moment and just mention something to you, that God has placed prohibitions upon our life, too. The way he placed prohibitions upon Samuel's life, God has placed prohibitions upon our life also. Look with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and you will see that God has placed a prohibition upon our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we will begin to read for just a moment verses 14 through 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. The Bible says, here's a prohibition for us. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with lawlessness and with unrighteousness? Rather? What communion hath light with darkness? What accord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part has the believer God's placed some prohibitions upon our life. There are some things there that we are to observe. Just like Samson living on the border of town was dangerous for him, so you and I living on the corner of righteousness and the corner of the world have to face dangers too, and it's proven to be very dangerous for a number of people. Probably you and I can name those that have had very sad circumstances. God wants every one of us to be involved with the world. He does. He wants us involved with the world. He wants us to righteousness to the world. He wants us to be involved. Would to God, we have more righteous people in politics today. God wants you and I to be involved 
relationships and our partner relationships, our business partner relationships, and our buddy-buddy relationships, he wants those to be amongst godly people because the greater the familiarity, the greater the familiarity with the world, the greater temptation it is to become a part of the world. So he wants us to be a part of the world to the extent that we reach out and we influence and we love. He wants our deep relationships, those that we're with deeply, those to be inside the family of God to be able to avoid those influences. Samson would have saved himself an awful lot of trouble if he had just stayed out of sight. If he would have just stayed out of sight. Samson would have saved himself a great deal of trouble if he had just stayed out of the vineyard. All kinds of problems would have been saved. And you and I will stay, we'll save ourselves a lot of trouble too if we stay out of the sorrows of our world. Whatever those sorrows may be that we have to wrestle with. But it was in Sarek that he met Delilah. Her name means debilitating one. Sarek is vineyard. Delilah, debilitating one. Sonny has met debilitating one. Not a good combination. Not something that has a lot of promise to it. Friends, you and I will never meet the Delilahs of our life if we stay out of the Sareks. When Samson, uh, when Samson went to Sarai, something happened to him that it really never happened to him before, even with his bride. Samson falls in love. In Judges chapter 16 and verse 4, Samson falls in love. Up to then, Samson had loved Samson. But Delilah was different. It wasn't long before the Philistines, the Philistine authorities, would come to her and they knew that their 20-year enemy was having an affair with her. So they will ask Delilah, they will tell her, we will each give you, however many authorities there were, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver if you will tell us the source of his strength. They knew his weaknesses. They knew his weakness was women. They knew his weakness was gambling. They knew his weaknesses. What they did not know was the source of his strength. And they said, we want you to discover for us and to tell us the source of his weaknesses. What is it? Is it an amulet? Some kind of a good luck charm? What is it? Various scholars have looked that up. I'm working off a scholarship issue right now. That's where I'm taking this information from, as I tell you. Various scholars have looked up 1,100 pieces of silver, and they tell us that in that day and time, it would be equivalent to about a million dollars in the United States right now. We're talking big money. People wanted to know. They wanted to understand. The authorities wanted to know what was going on. And Delilah, realizing that she has a man on her hands that loves her, goes to work on him. She wants that money. Judges chapter 6 and verse 6 tells us what she was after. In fact, if you want to look in Judges chapter 6 and verse 6, it will make it very plain. The Bible says in Judges 6, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies. And with what you may be bound to afflict you. Now, if you're a business partner with someone, or and someone came to you and said, "Could you tell me how I can bankrupt you?" Would you have anything to do with them? I mean, I would show them the door. And for Sam, Samson to get that kind of a question, you go, oh, "My goodness, Samson, love really is blind." Yeah, that kind of a question come for you. Bad as it may, that was what she was after. Judges 16.6 makes it very plain. And so Samson toys with her. 
And he says, if you will do this, if you will bind me with seven new bowstrings, because he was a good hunter, so he was taking off on his hunting proudness, I'll be his other man. No, he wasn't. But if you will bind me with new robes like they did with him in Lehi when they turned him over the Philistines, when the Israelites turned him over the Philistines, and those new robes just broke like they were nothing but flax in his hands. They said uh, apparently she had a wood, had a loom in her house. And she said, well, if you'll weave my hair in this loom, get too close. If you just weave my hair in this loom, then I'm going to become simply as other people. And all three times after she did those things, she brings in the Philistines, and Samson would break through the bonds, whatever they may were, they may be, and probably tore up that loom, and he'd go out and defeat the Philistine warriors. But Samson knows she's dangerous. I wish you'd gone to his mother. Let me tell you what she's saying to me. She could have given him some good advice. Right, ladies? Given him real good advice. But he didn't. And as we said earlier, love is blind, and she finds a way to rebuild his confidence in her. And so finally, she resorts to tears. Now, men, you know that. God has not given the man who loves God and loves his wife the ability to resist her tears. God has not given a man the ability to do that. And it is no fun to listen to your wife cry at all. So she tells him. He tells her what the secret is in Judges chapter 16, verses 15 through 17. And because it's going to have some importance in the rest of this message, would you turn with me and read that just as a recollection? Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 16, verses 15 through 17. The Bible says, And she said unto him, How can you say, I love you? Your heart is not with me. You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words, and she pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. That he told her all his heart, and he said unto her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite from God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak, and I shall be like any other man. Where Satan and Delilah saw that she told her all his heart, she said and called for the Lord of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the Lord of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand to make her a very, very wealthy woman. It was three times nothing happened, but now something was just about to happen. And so she lost him to sleep. I don't know how you sleep as heavily as Samson was sleeping unless you've been drugged. But I'll leave that to you. Here he is. She loves him to sleep. His head is in her lap. His head is in her lap. And she calls a Philistine barber. He comes in and he shaves off those seven locks. Now that is a deep sleep. I think this is just Drexel. I think she probably had drugged him also when she was lulling him to sleep. But finally, finally he is awakened. Philistines are upon you. I will shake myself and go out as before, and he did not. And then come the very saddest words, some of the very sad words, and some of the saddest words, I should say it that way, that we find in the Bible. And the saddest words are, He was not the Spirit of the Lord of Which are scary, which is, those are scary. 
is tragic. It is possible that we don't even know the Spirit of God has departed from us. That is hard. But he departs from us. Samson's hair was not the, uh, I want you to understand this. Samson's hair was not the source of the strength. That was not the source of the strength. The hair was over the outer side of an internal obedience. That was it. Samson had broken all the other laws. He had broken them. He had touched dead bodies because he made them dead. Samson had eaten unclean food because he would get honey out of the skeleton of the young lion that he killed. Take it to his parents and he would eat it, so he'd eat unclean food. He didn't tell them where it came from, but he'd eat unclean food. And we know he was a drinker because when he was married the first time, he threw a bachelor's party in the book of Judges. And I won't go into the Hebrew with you, but he was a drinker. And if anybody is not a drinker, they're not going to serve drink alcohol at their marriage, at their wedding, at their bachelor's party. So there's Samson, he's broken all those laws. So now, having broken all those laws, God could have dealt with them on that. But there's only one area, the fourth area, where he maintained any kind of contact with God, and that is he kept his hair. That was it. The only area where he maintained contact with God was where he was when he kept his hair. So when he despised his hair and he put himself in a position to have his hair cut off, it temporarily destroyed that priority of contact that he had with God. God didn't leave him temporarily destroyed that contact that he had with God. I want you to see for just a minute that every one of us need to be careful that we remain active, we remain actively in contact with God. Every single one of us. When a man or a woman when a man or a woman don't maintain contact with God they don't make contact with anything it would be very difficult for them to maintain contact with each other. They're married with each other. Have you ever noticed church gets this straightened out? And you go home, this straightened out? Every one of us can come to church and get help for our marriages just by participating in that. And the women, don't give yourself so hard to work that you don't have any time left for God. Period. Women, don't give yourselves so much time hauling around children and grandchildren that you don't have any time left for God. It's so easy to move God out of our schedules. None of us are to exchange a day to walk with God for the occasional visit to the Delilahs and Sorek. So we have to carefully maintain our relationship with God. That's something to be guarded. That's something to be protected. And if we do lose contact with God, we lose the joy of the indwellingness of the Spirit in our life. We need to go back and recover that. And having lost that contact with God, we lose that ability to know that Samson is taken into Philistine custody in Judges chapter 16 and verse 21. He's shaking himself as before, wanting to get free. And after a period of time of caution, the Philistine warrior said, there's nothing happening here. And they go and they bind him with better and with feathers and brass. And then in front of him, I suspect, the Bible doesn't say this, just think about it for a moment. In front of him, I suspect, they probably made Delilah a very wealthy woman, destroying 
is love. And helping him to realize how foolish he's been. Then uh, they do something very differently. They take on ball, a material that is used, a blade that is used to bore holes in wood. And they get it real hot, so it'll cauterize, and they use that ball to disfigure him and bore out his eyes. They didn't want to just blind Sam. They could have done that by just running a finger out his eyes. They wanted to, they wanted to disfigure Samson. They wanted everybody to know that Samson was blind. They wanted him completely disfigured. So they've taken over Samson's life. The Philistines then do something else. They forever remove him from the land of Israel. They raise his hopes that he's going to be released as they march him through part of Dan and through part of Judah, a 15-hour march on their way back to the capital city of Gaza. It is the last time that Samson will ever feel Israeli soil underneath his feet. It's the last time that Samson will ever smell Israeli aromas. That's it. Take him to Gaza. So what's going on? What's going on in Gaza? The fact of the matter is, God is taking over Samson's life. See, God didn't let him go, even though he cut his hair and cut off his relationship with God as far as he was concerned for a while. God did not let him go. And God is taking over Samson's life. Formerly, I mentioned to you before, Samson was sin, repent, new anointing, sin, repent, new anointing. Went on for 20 years. Sin, repent, new anointing. And we can almost hear Samson say, God, what's going on? I can, in my mind's eye, hear God say, in my mind's ear, Samson, I love you. But every time you look at a woman, you lust after. So I thought if we just remove your eyes, that would solve that problem. You have a right to say, Drexel, you are crazy. Except for Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, if your right eye offends thee, what? Lock it up. Is that necessary to do? No. Come around the altar and get to the Holy Spirit and get help you. Jesus means this stuff. So God just... Samson, you just can't keep your hands off the things that I want you to keep your hands off. You just move toward alcoholic beverages, Samson. So I thought if we just shackled your hands, and if we just let you push the enemy's wrist mill, shackle to the wrist mill, I thought that just maybe that would help break that. Samson, you just can't seem to stay where you're supposed to stay. You walk in areas you're not supposed to walk in. You could have gone to Jerusalem, but instead you went into the Sorek Valley. So I thought we'd just shackle your feet. Samson, I'm taking over your life. You are no longer going to do what you've done. I'm going to completely take over your life. Friend, Samson is in Hebrews chapter 11 because he had a high level of faith, I believe. Samson is in Sorek losing his anointing. That's what's happening. It's breaking the covenant of God. But the truth of the matter is, even though he broke covenant with God, God did not break covenant with Samson. There was a covenant there. Question three. What is Samson doing then in Gaza? 
does he do when he does it? I'll mention it this way first. He is bearing the heavy weight of having degraded God, and that is a heavy weight to bear. Someone having brought a degraded God in their life. See, when the people saw Samson, they praised Dagon, the fish god. They praised Dagon. I can tell you this all across this nation, and I'm thinking of one particular individual right now whose home I've been in, in Florida, whose daughter I dated back in those years, for one, was a missionary. And the next time I would see him after I finished sitting in his house for a while, they had moved to California. He was working at Sonny's. Sonny's a good restaurant as far as I know. He was working at Sonny's. But a horrible, horrible thing had come into his life. He violated his marriage. He ruined his ministry. Eighteen hours. He should have been fancy to make a living. Instead of standing before God and ministering to Jesus. Those kinds of things do happen. Something else is doing in gospel. He's not only living with the fact that he has derided God, he's also living with the fact that uh, of ridicule. Some of our scholars tell us that he would have been inside a building pushing the grain mill, wrist mill. And now excavations have been done and he was not inside, he was outside in the courtyard. That is the way that the Philistines had the area set up. He would have been outside in the courtyard. The people would have been able to have seen him. That stone that was normally turned with a donkey is a stone that now he was going to be turned. He would be doing donkey's work, and they would jeer at him, mock at him, and to come by and laugh at him. Thirdly, Samson's and Gaza living with and surviving with intense anger. Because he knows he's played the fool. He understands that. The first weeks of blindness coupled... Uh, that continual exhaustion that he would have as a result of doing the work of a donkey. And then feeling the occasional whip being placed upon his back. There's nothing to compare with the anger that he had to himself and the punishment. There's nothing to compare. And I would imagine Samson said again and again and again, God, how could I have been so foolish? How could I have been so foolish? He's furious with himself because he's been foolish. The fourth thing that Samson is doing is he's learning to live with a bald head. That's the fourth thing he's doing. Samson never had his hair cut all of his life, and he only knew long locks. In fact, it was so long, his hair was so long, it had to be put into seven locks. But now Samson's bald. He doesn't have hair any longer. And the harder part of that is that the Outward sign of the presence of God is gone. The outward sign of an inward relationship is gone. There is, when you look at Samson pushing that grist mill, doing the work of a donkey in the courtyard of that prison, you see a man that has no evidence that he belongs to God at all. The hair is gone. But shaving his head, you and I both know the Philistines removed the hairs. They did not damage the follicles. 
They did not scalp him. They, in fact, shaved him. So let me show you a little bit more about what God is doing. In the Old Testament, the provision for the Nazarite vow was this. Don't cut your hair. Do not drink wine or any product of the vine. Leave that alone. Don't touch a dead body. Don't eat unclean food. Those were the provisions of the Nazarite vow. And the Nazarite vow would go from 30 to 90 days based on what the Mishnah has taught us. But if during that 30 to 90 days something happened that you broke a vow, for instance, an uncle or an aunt or somebody died in the family and you had to be a pallbearer for them, you had to touch the dead body, then obviously it was broken. And what the person would do, the, the Nazarite vow was broken, what they would do is they would simply go to the priest, tell the priest what happened, and the priest would shave their head. And start over again for 30 to 90 days. And now because the head is shaved, because the head is bald, everybody in the community knew that they were under a Nazarite vow and they would help the people. They would help the folks in that in the way, every way that they possibly can as a community would get behind them. Samson should have gone to the priest years earlier. As he was violating the law of God, Samson should have gone to the priest years earlier know that he touched dead bodies because as we said a few moments ago, he made them dead. We know he ate unclean food because he ate honey out of the out of the skeleton of the lion. We know he drank because he served that at his bachelor's party. The people who were his groomsmen brought others, a total of 30 people, and it's not hard to get people to come to a drinking fest. So they did. He'd already violated three of the four laws where he never had his hair cut. He should have gone ahead and let the priest shave his head and not Delilah. But Samson's kind of like we Americans are. As long as I have my hair, whatever that is, as long as I have a job, we Pentecostals, as long as we speak in tongues, because that's God's favor, everything is okay with me, and God will ignore the internal impurities. He doesn't. So God let the enemy shave Samson's hair. I want to suggest to you that God's got a lot of barbers out there. And if we don't allow him to do the work that he needs to do around the altar in our life or in our private prayer closet or whatever, wherever it is we pray, God's got some barbers out there that can do the same thing to us. He can do it differently, but he's got the same thing out there. My point is this. We may depart from God. God doesn't depart from us. And God did not depart from Samson, even though Samson is in some difficult, horrible circumstances. Because see, here's the covenant in Hebrews chapter 11. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. That's his covenant to you and me. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. You see, the purpose of chastisement, and that's what Samson was undergoing, the purpose of chastisement is not to separate us from God. The purpose of chastisement is to what? Bring us back into a relationship with God and my son. Despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor thank when thou art rebuked of him. It's always to bring us back into a relationship with God. So what is Samson doing in Gaza? Samson thought he was serving a lifelong sentence for past indiscretions. Come. The Philistines thought he might be serving a lifelong sentence because of the past harassment that he had given them. God had a different viewpoint. 
God had Sonny starting all over again spiritually. God had Sonny beginning all over again spiritually. Because you see, euphemistically, Samson's going to begin to grow hair. More than that, Samson's going to begin to come back spiritually. We're going to see that in just a few moments. There are Delilahs out there in every one of our lives, and we have to be careful of them so that we don't break relationship with God. But if for some reason we've done that, on the verge of doing that, let your hair start growing again by getting around these altars. Let your hair start growing again by kneeling in your prayer closet, wherever that prayer closet is. But there he is. He's out there doing the work of a donkey. It's hot. Perspiration is dripping. I can imagine in my mind's eye that Samson goes to push back the perspiration from his face and surprise. Stop I suspect that Samson probably, this is my imagination, but I suspect that Samson probably took his cloak and covered his head because he didn't want the Philistines to see that his hair was growing again. He didn't want them to see what was taking place. He need not have worried because, you see, our God is the God of a second chance. The Philistine God gives no second chances. But our God is the God of a second chance. They're not even worrying about that. And I can imagine the, the jailer saying, What are you doing, Samson? Sunstroke, sunstroke. have to protect myself. Sunstroke. I can see something like that. But again, he need not have worried because that wasn't even what the Philistines were looking for. They thought he was beyond any and all redemption. But you remember Jeremiah? You remember when he came and he saw that marred vessel on the wheel? And Jeremiah did not throw, the, 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 the potter did not take that and break it apart and throw it away. He took it because it was still able to be molded. He took it and he put it in the water and he would stomp on it and he would trample on it and he put it back in the water again and he will make a brand new vessel, which is what God is doing. In Samson's life and he'll do it in every one of our lives too. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever and he will not change. Samson's hair begins to grow. As his hair begins to grow, he also is growing in the spirit. That old sunny attitude begins to come back again. Something begins to take place in his life. First of all, it's getting easier and easier and easier for him to be able to push that grist mill. Got to where he could push it with his finger. He had to pretend. So he pretends that it's difficult work for him. Tends that he's got to use a lot of his strength. But there's something else that's happening too, and that is his consecration is coming back. Samson, the text indicates to us, because of what the Philistines want him to do in some of the Hebrew words, the text indicates to us that Samson began to be a song and dance man. There in the jail.
two-step, and people begin to hear about that. They really do. And there's a reverence that comes back to Samson. In the book of Judges, chapter 15, when he kills that lion, he speaks to God in very, very derogatory terms. God, I'm thirsty. I kill this lion here. I'm going to die because of thirst. That's the way he speaks to God. And so, God causes water to come forth. He gives us something to pray. God God do something like that. He's a merciful God. What happens is Samson is experiencing. Samson's beginning to experience the kinds of things that God wants him to be able to experience. He's beginning to exhibit that old sunny attitude. It really is. David begins, he begins to experience what David will experience 200 years later. David in Psalm chapter 51 and verse 12 will say, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me. With your generous spirit. God is restoring to him the joy of his salvation. What does all this say? It says God is the God of a second chance. He's giving Samson a second chance. He'll give you and I a second chance. He said, Pastor, I've used second, third, and fourth, fifth chances. He's still God. He's not broken his relationship with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You've got another chance. So God doesn't write you and I off. God doesn't say, all right, I've got one and a half million other people on the face of the earth. That's the way you want to be. You just go ahead and go on. That's, what God's, that's not what God says. God says, I'm going to hold you more tightly. Just like he did Samson. He began to hold him much, much more tightly. And he will reform the same way the potter did in the book of Jeremiah that we talked about a moment ago. God's giving Samson a second chance. First of all, he's giving him a second chance because Satan has changed the rules. It used to be Samson against the Philistines. It used to be that. But now, since he's been conquered, his Dagon is greater than Jehovah. So the whole thing has changed. And God, seeing that he's being mocked, comes to Samson, and he literally he says to him, you want one more contract? And Samson begins to give God unknown information. We call it prayer. God, he begins to give God unknown information. God, my hands are shackled. God, my feet are shackled. God, I can't see. And God said, all I need is your faith. All I need is your faith. Samson said, God, use me one more time, even if it kills me. And God said, it will. But I'll use you that one more time. A few days, there's a great big feast taking place. And they call for Samson because they want him to perform for them. They've heard that he's a song and dance man is circled around in the uh, Philistine area of Gaza. They're not looking for beats of strength. They're not looking for him to bend something. But what they're looking for is for him to do a little singing and dancing for them. So in Judges chapter 16 and verse 25, the Bible says he performed for them. In Judges 16 25. What he does, he does the same thing in that temple of Dagon. He steps out.
time they rested. The young man did. He said, tell me how the temple's made. Oh, it's three quarters of the wheel. It's got spokes all the way across. They each rest on these two pillars. All these spokes come right here. It's three quarters. Typical kind of structure for the day. There are a lot of people here. There's a lot of people on the roof. Oh, tons, tons. Three thousand tons. Son, run. God used me this one more time. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray that this morning there has been something that has touched our heart. We ask you, Lord Jesus, this morning that every one of us have been searched by the Holy Spirit so that we internally may be absolutely pure and clean before you. We thank you for that, God. God, we thank you that you don't throw any of us away. We thank you that you hold on to us more tightly even if we have to face chastisement. And Lord, we can end that chastisement by just saying, I repent. I'm sorry, God. We can end that. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that in every one of our hearts today, that we will humbly come before you, and that we will allow you, Holy Spirit, to internally shape our head. So when we leave this church, Thank you. 